reunite with a number of really good friends that I went to college with. Um, most of them, all, all of them, I hadn't seen for at least 20 years. Uh, most of them I hadn't seen for since we graduated 30 years ago. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I was talking with one of those friends, uh, Rich is his name, and as we're catching up on the last 20 years, I learned from him that uh, he had a business. He started a business. He was very successful. He sold his business for a lot of money and uh, retired by the age of 50. Uh, I knew he had a solid marriage because uh, his wife was there with him, and uh, it's the same gal that was his girlfriend in college, and that I knew he married shortly after college. Uh, five great kids, um, and I got to say, I was thinking to myself, wow, that's, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> uh, maybe a little envy uh, even creeped in. Um, I know I've got him beat on the wife and the kids. I do. <laughs> but I got to say, I, I wouldn't mind uh, being so wealthy that I could retire and stop working at the age of 50. Uh, that's already passed me by. Uh, but as we then talked some more, he revealed to me, and now I've gone back to work. And I... As I listened, I realized that he was restless, that he was worried, that he was going to be missing out on something by being on the sidelines. He was anxious about that, that he, he was not at peace. Now, before we even open up our Bible today, peace is our, is our topic today. Before we even open up our Bibles, there's some things that we probably know about peace. Uh, we know that none of the things that the world offers to us to try to achieve some type of personal peace are likely to work. Right? Let's, let's just go through a few of those. Retirement. Uh, retirement is great. Um, not that I'm there yet, but um, I've heard it's great. <laughs> I hope someday I'll realize it's great. Uh, but we cannot achieve a personal peace through retirement. Uh, you know, pensions are, have become virtually obsolete. Uh, retirement ages are increasing. Health insurance costs are higher than ever. Uh, the idea of retirement has changed rapidly in our lifetimes. Uh, a recent study cited in a Forbes article says that more than half of people currently age 60 plus will have to continue working in some capacity for years after their official retirement. And one in 10 don't think they'll ever be able to retire. So retirement doesn't seem to be the path. Wealth. Wealth is good, but we cannot achieve a personal peace through wealth. We, we all have heard the saying, money can't buy happiness. And uh, the studies show that that is true. Um, another Forbes article makes the statement that surveys have found virtually the same level of happiness between the 
very rich individuals on the Forbes 400 and the Maasai herdsmen of East Africa. Some recent studies have found some correlation between wealth and, um, uh, and a, a measure of life satisfaction, which could also perhaps be used as a proxy for personal peace. And uh, even if that were true, there's no guarantee that wealth won't be lost. In the recent recession, uh, it's estimated that Americans lost $16 trillion of wealth. That's nearly $50,000 a person. Yeah, there's some recovery. About, only 45% of that has been recovered at this point. And there's no guarantee that won't be lost at some point as well. Another example, relationships. Relationships with other people are good, uh, but they also are not a path to personal peace. We all know the dismal statistics on marriage. Nearly 50% of first marriages end in divorce. Higher percentages for second and third marriages. Children of divorced parents, four times more likely to end up in a divorced marriage. And besides divorce, uh, people die, people change. So even if divorce doesn't end a relationship, other things may. My friend Rich had, had all those things. He had that, a combination of, of retirement and wealth and relationships, and even that combination wasn't enough for him. So we could go on and on about all the ways that uh, we try to achieve a personal peace in the world. Um, but the fact is, we cannot achieve a personal peace by any means. Can we? Even if we had some limited success, things change. Life events happen. Expenses add up. Stocks tumble. People let you down. Plans fail. God knows that in this life we will experience those things. And he knows that they will tend to cause us to feel anxious. But he does not want us to be anxious. He does not want us to be. In fact, he tells us, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, you know you've drawn the short straw on the preaching team when you get the fruit of the Spirit that surpasses all understanding <laughs> to preach on. But we're going to get into that. We're going we're gonna to get into this, this scripture. And here we see already that God promises us that we can have his peace. We can. And it will be very personal to us, guarding our hearts and minds. In Christ. So we don't have to worry about the failures of the world to deliver personal peace because God is going to provide it. Now, as I said, He also tells us 
is a piece that surpasses all understanding. And there are a couple of ways that we can take that. Uh, and I think both of them are true. Uh, one way is that the peace of God is so good that even if we understood, even if we, if we knew all of the things that are unknown right now that might cause us anxiousness, even if we knew all that stuff, it wouldn't be as good as God's peace. Even if I knew that I, would, that I had enough wealth so that I would never have to worry about another bill my entire life, God's peace is better than that. So that's one way. The other way that we can take this statement is that uh, God's peace is such a supernatural thing that it is beyond the, our limited understanding of our human minds. And that's not a foreign concept to us either. There's plenty of examples of that. They don't even have to be supernatural things. Just take cell phones, for instance. We could each take out our cell phones, right? Don't do this. But, uh, <laughs> but we could take our, uh, our cell phones right now, and each one of us could place a call to some, someone in another country. And we could all have simultaneous conversations from this room right now. And we have engineers, of course, that know how to make the phones and the systems that can allow that. And we know how to use our phones, or at least well enough to make a phone call. Uh, and we know the benefit of that. But, you know, bottom line is we do not understand how all those different hundreds of conversations travel through the air and sort themselves out so that all those different conversations all across the world would be happening right here in this room at the same time. It just is. So both are true. Both are true. God's peace is so good that it is better than understanding everything. Uh, And it is so amazing that we cannot understand everything about it. So... Either way, it's not necessary for us, thank goodness, to try to understand everything about God's peace. It's only important for us to try to understand what he has revealed to us in his word. And that's, that's what we're going to do here. Let's look at what we can understand about the peace that surpasses all understanding. First, God's peace is a gift. This is why we can't achieve it. We, you don't achieve a gift. We receive a gift from the goodness of the giver's heart. Now, how do we know that it is a gift? Well, first, it belongs to God. Here we see in the verse from Philippians that it's described as the peace of God, the peace that belongs to God. And that phrase is used throughout the Bible, as well as the peace of Christ. Uh, also used in Scripture is uh, the description of God as the God of peace. And if you're the God of something, you pretty much get to do whatever you want to with it. You get to decide, uh, you get to decide what to do with it. 
second way that we know that it is a gift is that Jesus told his disciples that he would give them his peace. Uh, at the end of his ministry, he explains that he is what is going to happen to him, and he is encouraging them, uh, and he tells them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. My peace I give you. He does not tell them, you can achieve my peace if you save enough money or if you retire to a charming village on the Mediterranean or, uh, uh, or, or even if you be a good enough person. Instead, he says, my peace I give you. The second thing that we can understand uh, is that God's peace is anti-anxiety. It is anti-anxiety. Here in Philippians, we are presented with two alternatives. Being anxious versus the peace of God. He tells us, do not be anxious about anything. Instead, instead he says, take a different approach. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Now, we'll have plenty in this life that will cause us to be anxious, as we talked about. And we all have to do battle uh, with those things. Uh, Some of us have to battle even harder than others. Uh, But God knows that. God knows that. Why else would he offer his peace to guard our hearts and minds? We wouldn't need to guard our hearts and minds unless we were expecting to be under attack. The question is, how are we going to choose to do battle? That is the question. With the world's way or with God's way? God uh, gives us many opposing alternatives in Scripture. This is not a new, new idea. He tells us that we have to choose between God and money, for example. He tells us that if we have the Son, we have life. If we don't have the Son... We don't have life. He tells us that living according to the standards of this world with a mind that is governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. He's, he's not a God of gray, grayness. He's much more a God of black and white He lays out the alternatives of anxiousness or his peace. And he wants us to choose his peace. He says, do not be anxious. In Matthew 6, Jesus tells us repeatedly, do not worry. Do not worry. Right after Jesus tells his disciples, my peace I give you, he tells them, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, it's, it's true that God's peace is a gift. Uh, but we are definitely involved in whether or not we receive that gift, just like any other gift. We have to be willing to accept it. And we have to be willing to, uh, to step forward and reach out and take it. Just like God's gift of salvation. He makes it available to us, but we have to receive it. This gift of peace is available to us, but we have to choose to receive it, to accept it. 
We're going to have battles with anxiousness, and God offers us a way to win those battles. A third thing that we can understand about the peace which surpasses all understanding is that God's peace is pro-joy. It's a gift, it's anti-anxiety, and it is pro-joy. Scripture tells us that God's peace is not limited to creating the absence of anxiousness. That is, it does not stop at just getting us to the point where we don't have to worry about anything. If that were all it was, then it would be a whole lot like being a big money lottery winner. With the jackpot winnings, we no longer have to worry about any bills. Uh, Our health is probably going to improve because we can afford good food. We can get a gym membership. We can uh, uh, afford to go to the doctor for whatever medical treatment we need. Uh, uh, We can retire. We don't have to worry about work, etc. So then that sure eliminates a lot of things that we would otherwise worry about. That creates, in effect, the absence of anxiousness. But uh, there's lots of research and case studies on lottery winners. Um, and and just, just the uh, subjective examples of lottery winners um, so that uh, there are many that are no better off five years after their win than they were before they won, and, and many that are worse off. Uh, studies, more pervasive studies, have mixed results, um, but they all do have agreement on at least one conclusion, and that is that winning the lottery is certainly no assurance of happiness. One study, in fact, found that lottery winners were, were not significantly happier than non-winners and only slightly happier than people who had suffered a terrible accident that left them paraplegic or quadriplegic. So eliminating anxious, anxiousness is... Uh, uh, is not enough. It's not enough to bring joy. And it's, it is good to not worry about anything. And God's peace, though, thankfully, it doesn't end there. God's peace fends off anxiousness, plus it brings joy. And let's, let's see how. The writer of Psalm 94 writes of the wickedness that surrounds him. And then he says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. In spite of my anxiety, you brought me joy. Proverbs 12.20 says, Those who promote peace have joy. So seeking peace for yourself and for others brings joy. Testifying to uh, God, about God, uh, to a crowd of new believers, the Apostle Paul tells them, He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. So he provides everything that we need for our bodies to sustain us in this life and Fills, us, fills our hearts with joy. And Paul, again, writing to the church at, at Corinth, 
describes a long list of troubles he and his fellow missionaries have had, uh, writing, among other things, this body of ours had no rest, and we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But we find that Paul does not worry about those troubles, as severe as they were. And he doesn't stop with, I'm okay, I know, I, I know God is going to handle these, I don't have to worry about those troubles. He doesn't stop there. Instead, he says, I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. Jesus himself gives us the greatest example. Paul says, let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. In spite of the agony that Jesus knew was coming to him, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured it because there's so much more at stake than the horror that he would have to go through. He knew his place with God the Father awaited him, and he knew that he was preparing a place for all of us. That was far more important and that, that is what brought him joy. Overcoming the troubles of this world with the peace of God allows for joy. They are related. Peace and joy are related. How can we experience the joy set before us if we are hung up on the troubles of this world? It, 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 we can't. It's looking beyond the troubles of this world and, and letting go of those troubles and focusing on the much better things that God has in store for us that brings us joy. And that, that brings us to the fourth, a fourth thing. Not This isn't a, a uh, comprehensive list, but a fourth thing that we can understand about the peace which surpasses all understanding is that God's peace requires letting go. Let go of your anxiety. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. That's, that's what casting it all on him means. Let go of it. Give it to him. And that's where we fall down a lot, isn't it? I mean, so often we include him in our troubles but we don't give them to him. For asking God for his help with our trouble, but we don't stop worrying about the trouble, what good have we done as far as battling anxiousness? And what does it say about what we really believe about God? We have to let go. God's peace too, is a fruit of the Spirit that we are to grow. So, for God's peace to grow, let your anxiety go. For God's peace to grow, let your anxiety go. Now, you may be thinking, I want to let it go. <laughs> I just can't. And God knows that that can be tough. So, let's see what he says about that, about letting it go. 
first in how to let go of your anxiety. Set your mind on his promises. Have you ever done uh, this uh, test of trust that you see on, on the screen where someone's standing up on a platform or a chair with their back to a group and they, you have to fall backwards and trust that they're going to catch you? That trust fall is what we ought to do with God. We ought to let go and trust that he's going to catch us. A little uh, further down in the uh, Philippians chapter 4, we are told to, to put all of God's word into practice. Put all of God's word into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. And then he gives us this promise. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. That's a heck of a promise. And Jesus, Jesus himself made a similar promise, teaching, do not worry. Do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. There, there is no promise that we won't have troubles in this world or that we won't be hungry or short of money or clothing or food when we measure ourselves against the world's standards. There is no promise from God like that. Jesus asked, though, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? God's promises are about something much more than Worldly standards. The focus is on our life in Christ, not on our life in this world. Scripture tells us that that those who set their mind on earthly things are destined for not only anxiety, but for destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. It says instead to... Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Set your minds on things above. But we do have to be careful not to interpret this as suggesting that we should ignore the things of this world. That is not what it's saying. In fact, Jesus told us, your heavenly Father knows you need these things. What he's saying is, don't worry about those things. It's a matter of what, what are we dwelling on? What are we placing our hope in? What is driving us? So how are you under attack today? What arrows of anxiety are being shot at your heart and mind? When you come under attack and are feeling anxiousness rather than peace, stop and set your mind on God's promises. Remember that God promises us that he will meet all our needs. That he will never let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. That he forgives our sins and purifies us from all unrighteousness. 
that he will make our paths straight. That he works in all things for good of those who love him. That he has given us eternal life. When you lay his promises side by side with your troubles, your troubles begin to look much smaller. The question is, do you really believe those promises? Do you trust them? When it is time for you to fall backwards into his outstretched arms, and maybe today is that day, when it is time, are you willing to do so? A second way that God tells us how to let go of our anxiety is to pray about everything with thankfulness. God loves us to talk to him. He's a God of relationship, and talking to him is a big part of that relationship. And uh, here in Philippians, we receive some instruction on how to talk with him. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So talk to God, prayer, about your needs and requests, supplication, and do it for everything. I have to admit, that, that it had taken me a long time to learn that one. I... Uh, I've gotten a lot better about it, praying throughout the day, short prayers, one-sentence prayers, about whatever is going on in my day. I've gotten better from exposure to this verse and from coming to understand that I'm in no position to discern what is worth bringing me before God and what is not. When you consider the sovereignty of God, the all-powerful, all-knowing creator of the universe. Relative, relative to him, there's no difference among needs. He can handle all of them, and he cares about all of them. And how arrogant of me to think that I know what is important to him and what is not. How arrogant of me to think that I don't need help on what I consider to be the small things. We are to bring everything to him. We're also to bring everything to him with thanksgiving. Now you might be thinking, but if I'm praying about my troubles, what am I thanking him for? Or you might be thinking... Isn't that jumping the gun if I'm asking for help? I don't know how he's going to answer that prayer yet. Well, the answer to those questions come back to, uh, to believing God's promises. For example, in Romans eight twenty-eight, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. If we believe that promise, then whatever our trouble or need is God promises to work it for our good. So, yes, we can thank him for that work and for however the prayer is going to be answered. 
because it's all for our good. And we know it will be answered because Jesus assures us of that, telling us, ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Bring everything to him with thanksgiving. He works on every prayer and all his work is for our good. Thank God that he is approachable, is loving, is patient and gracious and merciful. And thank God that he cares for us so we can cast all our anxiety on him and he will give us peace. So what do you have today that you have not talked to him about? In what ways have you been ungrateful for the work he is doing for you? Once you have prayed like that about everything and with thankfulness for anything, for anything that our God wants to do in your life, you have his peace. What else is there to worry about? What is there to keep us from experiencing the joy of of life that he has in mind for us? We need God's peace to protect our minds and our hearts. We need it. We do. Without it, uh, we're going to lose a lot of battles of anxiety. And we're going to um, forfeit the joy that he has in store for us. We ought to want this fruit in our lives because it is so good. It's so good. It's better than if we understood all of the things that are unknown to us that cause us anxiety. We ought to want it for that. But we also ought to want it because it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's one of the ways that the world can see what a difference Jesus makes. Researcher George Barna has studied that, how Christians do that, show the world what a difference Jesus makes. And he concludes that the influence of Christianity on culture and individual lives is unfortunately largely invisible. He writes, Jesus frequently spoke about the importance of the fruit that emerges from a Christian life. These days, the pace of life an avalanche of competing ideas underscores the significance of visible spiritual fruit as a source of cultural influence. And on the one sense, you could take that as bad news. On the other sense, you could take that as what a great opportunity. There's a need for a Christian example to influence our culture. And the fruit of the Spirit is the way that we can do that. Let's, let's make Philida starting point for that. Let's do that here in Philida. Let's let the world see what Jesus has done for us by producing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Let's show how God's peace guards our hearts and how we battle anxiety different than the rest of the world.
Let's do that. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, just understanding what you have shown us about your peace, God, already makes me feel more protected and less anxious. And Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us. I pray that we can show that by the way that we live, that as we do experience the troubles that this world brings, Lord, that we can, we can handle them differently, that we can not dwell on them, but instead look to you. Lord, be with us as we, as we seek to do that. Be with us as we leave this room later and help us to apply that in our lives outside of this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.